the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. This morning a miracle happened as promised The rising of the world's closest star And the almanacs warned us That the fast coming weather Might blow us away like dandelion flowers Welcome to The Marinade, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 141 and our guest is Willie Carlisle. Willie is a poet, actor, singer, songwriter, a manic expressive of the highest order. His infectious brand of folk storytelling continues to find larger and larger audiences, a phenomenon that requires only a listen to one of his incredible records or the witness of two minutes of his live performance to comprehend. We caught up with Willie after his set at the inaugural AVL Fest in Asheville, North Carolina, This was the last day of an outstanding festival, and I have to say a huge thanks to Wicked Weed Brewing and Worthwhile Sounds, who sponsored the festival, and Victory Lap Media for inviting us to cover AVL Fest. Willie and I found the quietest place we could, which was a brewery office that had been converted to a green room, so don't worry about adjusting your pod box if you hear the sweet sounds of Indigo D'Souza's set or folks breaking down things around us. Uh, I'm just so grateful for these opportunities, y'all. Willie is a really smart guy and someone whose life and work I am proud to uplift. Everyone, it is my great honor to bring you my conversation with Willie Carlisle. I need a theory of all love. Like the hearts of big tents. Gotta let everybody in. Doesn't matter who they are, if they do right or where they My conclusion's not a great one. I'll leave that to the smarter ones. The soul is an idiot. It doesn't care why. Check, 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 check. Whatever you do with it, the gifts are pretty similar. That's all right. Okay. That's that volume right there is right. Okay. We're recording. We're rolling, buddy. I don't. I think like. I didn't realize I needed like a good cry <laughs> and uh, I was just like in a weird emotional place this afternoon before I got here and um, I was standing there and you played uh, that Steve Goodman Oh, uh, the Battle of the Penny Evans. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I should get my notes ready that I'm sure I'm going to throw out as soon as we just start chatting. But I just started crying. And I saw um, Danielle, who's the publicist for the festival, right after that. And she, her eyes were full of tears right after this, you, you finished the song. And then we kind of had a moment and we talked about it and how, like, how emotional that performance was. And then I walked away and there were two, two buddies 
two guys and they were talking about how they had just been crying <laughs> at your performance. <laughs> so I, I just want to start by saying thank you. Like I, I didn't realize I needed, like it was stuck in there somewhere. Like sure. A couple of months worth yeah. of cry. I think it had, it's been a minute and I don't know what it was about that performance, but, but it clearly wasn't just me. It's yeah. Just incredible. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's an, it's an honor to do that. Um, I need it. The reason that I do it is cause I need it. Um, yeah. And uh, when it has a good story like that song, well, then um, that just makes it all the better, right? That's yeah. that's why we have stories is because they abstract uh, feelings that we can't touch, right? Yeah. Um, feelings that are white hot get to come out uh, because of somebody else's story. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about that because, like, especially, like, the, the choice to do that particular song because um, you have all of these incredible songs of your own. And when you're up there performing, I mean, you only had an hour for us today. And, and we talked about it off mic briefly, but that hour flew by. And it speaks to both, you know, you as a performer and then also the songs um, that it that that hour was so fast and you left us wanting more. Just you. That was the other crazy. <laughs> that's the wild thing about your performances. It's just you. Um can you talk about the choices that you make up there and like what that looks like? How much goes into those sure. choices? Um, you know, there's some really basic showbiz stuff, right? Like festival sets are, you got to put banger after banger. You're going to lose people's attention because there's uh, a big atmosphere, you know, they're uh, sucked over to the beer tent or over to a hot dog or yeah. to one of their best friends. Right. And I don't want to fight for attention and I try not to organize sets that way. In fact, I want to guide people down in like an emotional trajectory um, that covers like a lot of territory yeah. so that if you're with me, we go to a lot of different places. So instead of just saying, oh, this one's got to be upbeat and fun. Oh, this next one's got to be upbeat and fun to hold on to people. Instead, it's like, well, this feels more powerful if we craft a narrative with it. So in terms of singing that old Steve Goodman uh, ballad, Penny Evans, um, I haven't recorded it. It's on a record coming mm. out next year. Um, but I had to start singing it like after Roe v. Wade got overturned um, mm. because it's a song about um, a woman deciding uh, to not have any more kids after her uh, husband is killed in Vietnam. Mm. Um, it's kind of like her personal act of protest, which is, of course, a big deal when the pill first comes around in the 70s, right? Um, yeah. And it's still a big deal now. So it's sort of like if I'm going to hitch my uh, the center of my show to something, right? I don't. I'm not a person that can sit there and provide direct action. I don't get off the stage and collect signatures, um, but I still want it mm. to have an ideological heart, and um, uh, and I want that ideological heart to be more like uh, about human freedom mm -hmm. than about any one uh, political uh, issue, um, and so I guess. That's that's why we pick it. That's why we sing it. Well, I'm glad that you did, and and I'm and I'm glad that I'm glad the set went the way that it did. There there was uh, I liked how you kind of broke it up too, because there was a a period where you you played cheap cocaine. You talked about uh, that period of light of your life, and I, I'm curious about your evolution as an artist and a person. And I, the I kind of went as a jumping off point, and then maybe we'll go back into some of that more. Maybe get you to tell some salacious stories, but the 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 thing I'm more interested in is, and I don't want to misquote you, but you said something to the effect of that um, 
about the sort of plural nature of the folk country revolution. Yeah. I think that's the word you used. Yeah, pluralism. Pluralism. Yeah. And and it was interesting cuz you cuz I feel that moment especially immersed in it the way that I am as someone mm-hmm. commenting on it. Right. Right. But then also throughout your set you talked about <coughs> like um TikTok and mm-hmm. the and you made a joke about being replaced by Lil Nas X and yeah. Pro Tools. Where do you see yourself kind of in that in this revolution and like how you're navigating it? Because so much of what you're doing is hearkening back to sort of some traditional uh, roots of the music itself. But at the same time, there's such a progressive bent to the mm-hmm. work that you do. Um, I believe uh, in like a kind of, some of this is magic. I want to say that it's like faith. I believe in a kind of bio-regional rootedness that music can speak to and also like uh, an epigenetic rootedness. Not to say that like, oh, I like cumbia because I'm from this part of the world or something like that because it's in my blood. Yeah. Uh, not not that nearly, that's sort of, instead the, the opposite is like, I'm I, this music appeals to me because I choose it, because I'm free and I choose it, right? Mm-hmm. And that leading to all kinds of other rootedness, all kinds of other um, communities, all kinds of, um, social interactions with uh, those communities that are based around musical affinity groups um, all that's kind of heady and really I guess I use a practical example um, is that when I got to Arkansas uh, people still had learned music from their grandparents Mm. and uh, those grandparents had learned from their parents or grandparents and so on and seeing that that was alive it's not that their turkey in the straw is better than a turkey in the straw from North Carolina is significantly different from one from a Metis uh, fiddle player or something like that. It's that it's a little act of freedom that lives mm-hmm. between the ears. It's something that has never been uh, very well. It hasn't been commercially viable for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And we hung on to it because it was something that we could choose to hold on to. Right. And in a world where I don't have a choice about whether or not I know that the McRib is back, right? There's so many things I don't have freedom over. I don't get to choose whether or not I, uh, you know, I, I uh, uh, use the use the right lane uh, or the left lane, right? Um, I think that there's certain kinds of freedoms that we can win back from. Uh, late capitalism's like apocalyptic plastic end run and I think for mm. me music is the paradigm where I discovered that because um, I grew up the same way as every kid in, in America or almost all kids right uh, in the suburbs um, uh-huh. feeling disconnected um, and there were parts of my family I, that we didn't talk to um, because they were uh, uh, low class or not nice or something mm. and um, uh, I felt pretty alienated from where I came from and who I was and um, I think that one of the birthrights of like uh, <laughs> being born into a liberal democracy um, should be uh, asking the question who am I not as a sellable product but like as a uh, as a timeline of hard-working human beings what were you doing f- now you have this outlet where you make this beautiful music and you have this communal almost church-like experience that yeah. I just that I just got to take in and be a part of when you're that alienated kid growing up in the suburbs what did you have if anything I mean 
a lot of times it was nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of people I think could agree that a lot of times there just yeah. is nothing. You don't get lucky. Yeah. Um, I was saved from the alt right by uh, by poets and poetry, and uh, by um, by being queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, poetry always the books always like lived in the bathroom. You know, they were like between the comic books, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just slide a slim volume of poetry or something, um, yeah. and it was strictly like stealing from the the borders or the Barnes and Noble or something. Like it was. Uh, or like $4 best loved American poems, uh, <laughs> like paperbacks. Um, yeah. It was like emotional territory. I hadn't gotten to live much that I really craved. So I wanted to be a poet. Was somebody turning you on to that? Was that just some, like, where did, how, what's your gateway to all of that? Um, I would say uh, it was, it's my father. Um, ah. He, uh, um, you know, there's, um, some people have interesting or fun bedtime stories. Uh-huh. <laughs> My dad was always, here's this Robert Frost poem, or here's this something. <laughs> there was this thing called the Book of Virtues, and it was just like, ugh. <laughs> Everything was just like Aesop's fables, like be a good boy, be this, be that, or so on. But um, sometimes it was f- the poems were fun because they, they had rhythm. Um, uh. He could recite uh, Jabberwocky, that uh, l- crazy Lewis Carroll nonsense poem. Yeah. And um, those were times I got to see... Um, Otherwise, pretty, I guess, fairly serious family be silly um, was when we were singing or, or dancing or reciting. Okay, so is dad, was your dad musical as well? Like, was there music in yeah. the house and that kind of thing? There really, there was. He, w- he didn't play any music by that point, but um, he uh, played bluegrass uh, in a bluegrass band and um, also in, like, a cover band. He he originally played tuba in a polka band in Lederhosen around uh, Wichita, Kansas, um, where I grew up. Uh-huh. Um, and that was when he was like 16 or 17. So at what point did you, it seems like early on, you knew that you you were a creative person, right? And you kind of talked a little bit about it there. At what point did you sort of come to that realization that, hey, I'm someone who needs to make stuff? That's a good question. Um, pretty much as soon as it was available, I guess. Uh. It was good teachers that made it available to me. Um, yeah, I was not a good student and, um, interesting. uh, except in things where you got to make it yourself, you mm-hmm. got to do whatever you wanted. And, um, mm-hmm. I remember there were writing assignments where I would just, um, buck the prompt entirely and do whatever I wanted and take the C with pride. Um, <laughs> I remember some specifics, uh, um, yeah, if the prompt felt like it was taking me in too bad of a direction, the Public schools weren't very good, um, and I got in too many fights to mm. kind of get into any of the, like, uh, I guess, fancier schools. I don't think that there was money there either. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was, if you looked at me wrong, I wouldn't, I would punch you, but I was, for the most part, I would keep to myself. Uh, that's really interesting, because, I mean, I don't, I don't know you well, but you're not a small person and right. you're a very likable person from what I've s- experienced of you. So <laughs> you getting in fights is a very interesting thing. Like what was, were y- like what was causing that reaction? I think it was a, uh, a, a like a perpetual sentence. I mean, uh, yeah, I think anybody with, uh, r- like raised in a male environment will know that sort of base humiliation that comes from being looked at funny, yeah. uh, that comes from somebody s- thinking that you are less than them 
or that deeply ingrained feeling that you might be less than unless you prove yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so anytime anybody said anything, it was like, well, we're, we'll we will settle this right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, the result is um, that creativity can lead people to liking themselves. And I think that if people are comfortable with who they are and what they want, then they can... Um, uh, find outlets for that kind of anger um, that are effective, and um, I want people to know. The reason I like to I like to talk about this stuff because um, I really was very angry, and I mm. was a, a pretty misogynistic uh, little kid. In fact, I read like a philosophy paper from my first year in um, in uh, uh, college, and I was a little fascist, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people were very patient with me. Well, I'd like to unpack that if you're comfortable doing so, because I can relate, right? So, I mean, I grew up in a very conservative environment, and now I I will say I was really lucky that when I got to college, and I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the show, but here we go. I don't know why I looked at my recorder (laughs) as if it was going to give me answers, but (laughs) I was in a fraternity in college that was founded by Confederate soldiers Uh who... Uh, really revered, almost worshipped Robert E. Lee. And I now look at it, and a lot of the rituals and things like that were straight-up fascist. Uh-huh. Not just, like, con- conservative, but, like, straight-up Nazi shit, yeah. right? And uh, ironically, I had a roommate who was one of the most open-minded people I've ever met in my life and had, like, studied Ayurvedic medicine in Tibet and <laughs> was like this this person who we would sit up late at night and listen to Tool and talk about the lyrics and That's like awesome. yeah, yeah it was great and he, he turned me on to all this music and like we, you know we'd be all drunk and drinking whiskey at you know four in the morning listening yeah. to Maynard and trying to make sense of the world through his lyrics and, and for the moment at least we did um, but you know, I think I was fortunate to have that experience because that helped me to not go. You mentioned that, like getting saved from the alt right. Like I could, I, I just, dude, I just released a, uh, a, a, an episode of the show that I call Marinade Moments, where I talked about a band that I loved as in my twenties that I didn't see as being conservative or having those kinds of even like further right leaning ideals, and maybe they don't, but their fans sure do, um, and. If I hadn't had people like Mike, my roommate, I shudder to think like what direction I would have been. So, like, yeah. can you talk about the where you veered away from what could have been a really nasty path? Oh, sure. Um, you know the um, the incongruencies were already there, right? Um, but uh, I remember the first like really challenging stuff that I read um, was uh, Nietzsche and. Um, I really enjoyed the Twilight of the Idols and the Antichrist because it was like, was like um, nonsense. It was like uh, um, continentalist philosophies, uh, like re- generalized rejection of uh, of logic and positivism and stuff is really appealing uh, when you don't uh, live in a world yourself that makes any sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to you when you believe that it's not fair, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's all a little heady, uh, but suffice to say, 
if you don't feel good about yourself, somebody that uh, preaches a doctrine of like total individuality and the possibility of like ascendant individuality yeah. being uh, so much your own ding dang self um, yeah. uh, that you um, um, rise above the mire of uh, the rest of humanity that has been uh, quibbling over a piece of cheese like rats in a cage. It's really appealing. Um, and uh, so I guess that's that's the ideological version, right? But the version of me listening to Tool um, was actually just um, uh, friends that did not care uh, that I was queer mm-hmm. and friends, that, and uh, specifically female friends, that asked why I was so angry um, about, uh, like, I was just angry at women, angry at sex, angry about, and I couldn't explain it. And mm. I remember they... Uh, a wonderful gal gave me some second wave feminism, some Andrea Dworkin. Um, and uh, that was just aggressive enough to like be in direct combat. I had to have stuff that was intense. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because it wasn't going to be something that was like, hey, it's okay. You need to take a deep breath. Uh-huh. That was just going to make me, <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. angry. Yeah, it's it was, piss you off, tell yeah. somebody to calm down. It's like, that's, that's only going to make it worse. I just saw that play out <laughs> on the streets of Asheville last night. Really? <laughs> I did. I just saw that exact thing. This dude, this older dude trying to calm this younger <laughs> dude down, and the younger dude getting angrier and angrier as he was tell- being told to calm down. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, so one of the things that, that, I, I think we lose track of maybe in that is that like anger is like another one of those good emotions. It can be really productive yeah. and that energy if used for decent things is like incredible. I mm-hmm. like, I, and I'm trying to love being angry again because I stifled it down. I like, I changed, I changed the track of it for right. a long time. And, um, and I don't want to get too heady with it. It's already way too heady. I'm talking about Nietzsche and Andrew Dworkin, but, um, uh, Suffice to say then that uh, um, other ways of like acting saved me from from that. So from being a really angry person, um, ways that were really expressive, and it was singing with people. We used to sing the Pete Seeger songbook cover to cover. I had Utah Phillips' uh, Starlight on the Rails songbook, really great anarchist folk singer. Mm. Um, and then uh, I was living in this town, uh, Galesburg, Illinois where um, the poet Carl Sandburg had like grown up mm. and uh, he sang folk songs really badly uh, and I really liked how badly he sang them. <laughs> but also he was just writing poems about charming little Americana poems that were set in the place that I was from and nobody yeah. had ever treated the place that I was uh, from the prairies like they were important. N- yeah. in, my, in any reading I'd ever done, ever nobody thought nobody thought it was cool to be from kansas and illinois nobody ever, I, it still is so rare you know yeah but it still is very rare yeah well i i feel like some of that is coming through in the the revolution that you spoke of on stage today i think there are a lot of folks maybe that are from that i think of uh my politic came to mind first to, yeah you know right yeah. off the bat of and and that, there are others that are probably aren't coming to mind right now but but that are able to because i think so there's a danger in over romanticizing some of those places that have tons and tons of their own problems. Yeah. And I I think this is something I've been wrestling with lately too, is sort of that spirit of, I want to recognize the place I'm from. I want to be respectful to it. I want to acknowledge 
the ways in which specifically consumerism and American society have oppressed it and have led it down really nasty roads. But also that part of me that grew up believing in personal responsibility, that cons- that sort of conservative thing mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, wrestling with my, my sense of how do I talk about this place by being respect because i i think that what tends to happen a lot of times is folks who have a more sort of liberal mindset will often just blame it on consumerism and and i don't know what the answer is and i don't know that i'm right or wrong about that i'm just saying it's a very difficult thing for me to process as someone who sees that and sees family members of mine who express their frustrations in very hateful ways um toward uh, people of color toward queer people mm-hmm. toward women and how how you wrestle with that and I'm, I'm wondering like in, mm. you know what you think about that and like sort of your headspace especially as you're making things and, and thinking about writing about those kinds of things um if i'm totally honest right now i spend a lot of time being an apologist for mm. people from rural places and fa- a phrase i'm sure i've said on a on a podcast before is um, you really want to be mad at people for being denied social and civic services for a hundred years, right? Like good luck, because yeah, uh, yeah. that's really going to get you somewhere. And I, I'm, I'm, have some venom in my blood for sometimes the way people talk to me on the coasts about mm. that kind of thing. Is like they just can't believe you would ever like a place like that or something. And right, right. And then I, I have about a thousand excellent anecdotes um, where. Uh, um, uh, I remember I told somebody I was dating his daughter and he was nothing but kind to me for years and I was nothing but uh, a leech honestly I think you know just <laughs> eating eating dinner and and sleeping in a feather bed at his house and uh he just wanted me to get married to her and um and after some convincing I was like this is awfully patriarchal and he said am I not a patriarch and it was like okay so this is a method this is a method of social organization that has given a meaningfulness to your life um that uh um that a lot of people are missing mm. and i want to see the good parts of that those are people that are in control in some cases people are more able to be more in control of their food ways and more in control of their um when communities have to take care of each other right there's mm-hmm. some advantage right uh, we talk about mutual aid in cities, um, but it also exists out in the country where it's just w- it's just a church. In terms of um, finding balance, right? Uh, the thing that scares me the most is actually the um, is the suburban bigot. It's not the mm-hmm. rural one. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, the one who could be fully informed but but won't be. Yes. Um, yeah. The one who's uh, abandoned the uh, the church and uh, both the church and the uh, and the uh, you know um, uh, meeting hall or the um, yeah who has been fully isolated by um, by consumerism into. Uh, a place where they're um, angry, manipulatable, and haven't seen enough of the world to um, to meet it on its own terms. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's such a difficult question. Um, to me, the show is the place where I try to do. I'm trying to do that work, where mm-hmm. if I can just get people to sing together, 
if I could have everybody go to a square dance, I would, I, and I would like for that to be in my shows eventually. Um, oh, that's fun. It's a big risk to ask a bunch of people to hold hands. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And do that, do things together. Um, but I want to make everybody feel a little foolish and a little silly, and and try to get along a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's my answer. Is I'm trying at the shows. That's an incredible answer. Um, I, I, you mentioned the square dance a couple times today, and and auctioneers. My father was an auctioneer off and on oh, for nice. much of his life. Yeah, so I would go, you know, and, and there was some, there was sort of like a magic to it. There's like the the energy. Yeah, you know, and you bring quite a bit of that energy <coughs> to your shows. What is it about that environment or that work that speaks to you so much? Um. There's like a Werner Herzog documentary about cattle auctions, and I love it because he's like, uh, um, the profiteering methods of late stage capitalism are fully at work here, and you know, <laughs> and he's, he's pointing at a you know at a joyful guy in a cowboy hat jumping <laughs> up and down holding a diet coke just trying to buy another cow, right? Like, uh, so essentially, I call BS. I think that that's people um, buying and selling on their own terms, right? Mm. And uh, and um, at least that's most of the auctions that I've seen. I also just think that putting that activity inside of a human makes sense, right? Mm. If you interface with a human instead of an algorithm, we're, we're at this point, right, where if you're interfacing with a human instead of an algorithm, boy, you're lucky, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and those are economies of scale that can make sense, right? Something I'm uncomfortable with about playing music and getting popular at all is that I can't remember everybody anymore, and I used to. Honestly, I used to be able to hug and shake every hand and hug every single person, and and I probably made you wait for <laughs> probably half an hour just hugging and talking to people out there. Yeah. But it's the the part that's scary is it grows beyond your the scale of your comprehension. How many businesses have done this over a period of time, oh, right? Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that I believe part of part of an anarchist fundamental, right, is like keeping things at a scale that is comprehensive, that's, that is human, that takes as much humanness into account as possible. And I would never want to be a, in a club that would have me as a member. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I really like that credo. And um, to me, that's what an auctioneer or a square dance caller is, is saying, this is our community. Here's how we do it. I am the numbers cruncher. What? Listen to me crunch. Yeah. Um, what are you, how are you, I'm, I'm interested to dive a little bit deeper into that. Like your crowds keep growing. You keep getting more and more glowing reviews of your recorded work and your live shows. You were all over my algorithm when you played <laughs> Newport. Um, and so I'm interested in like at this stage right now, right? Like it could very easily you know, y very, very easily exponentially grow sure. any minute now, yeah. right? How are you processing that in terms of like maintaining that connection that is such a essential part of what you do? I'm not really sure yet. Um, uh, yeah, that's, and I'm unsatisfied with that answer too. Mm. Um, but we've been holding on. Um, one thing I know I want to do is um, as we like expand, uh, that um, everybody, you know, I've, I've actually found that I kind of like need training and like first response and uh, things mm. like uh, suicide prevention and stuff. And um, 
being able to have hard conversations with people like right away while also kind of detaching a little bit has been something I've really been trying to learn mm-hmm. um, so that I can be like a good uh, you know, I'm not trying to bring up emotions in people and then leave them in the dust. Yeah. That said, uh, it's becoming impossible for me to take care of every emotion that was had, right? Yeah. But I do want to be there for those that I can. Um, so that's something that I've done, but that's only, that's like a tiny Band-Aid if it, if it, if it scales up. And so my answer is like one-on-one, what would I do? What do I do? Yeah. And so 10, on, 10 100 to 1, right? Um, and what I hope is to... There's a lot of people working in the music industry that don't do much work. Mm-hmm. A lighting designer oftentimes shows up quite late to a sound mm-hmm. check, right? Um, and then is just expects to just flip some lights. Well, I love showbiz. I got notes for you, man. I uh. want you. And same thing with security. I know that you want to just stand there. It's okay. But if you're here to keep everybody safe, well, then let's then maybe if you're on payroll, then we can try something where everybody takes a risk together like holding hands or something and uh and doing a small dance together um maybe there can be something positive in the kind of um uh group hypnosis that happens at a music concert that can be like effectively uh politicized in um, ways that aren't specific or didactic but that are like um really about like equity and togetherness which i don't think is that to me hopefully would be the bottom of our like political dialogue but it just is we're so far from that and, yeah um so those are some dreams i guess is like using parts of the music industry i feel like sometimes i feel like i'm a i'm like a trying to be a sleeper agent right as i'll i'll play larger festivals that are have a lot of venture capital attached to them that I'm not comfortable with. Mm. And I'll be there pushing, um, a, uh, underappreciated vernaculars. Um, I'll be pushing, uh, understanding of people that are different than you, but not else be saying that has a tall white guy. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't have to say it and I'm not there because I, it should, I should appear to be saying it. Right. Which I think, um, that that can be the case in um, kind of a typecasting and um, so I, I feel like I'm trying to bring something um, that is different and and um, hopefully affects a l- small changes from the very very bottom um, because we're talking poetry um, uh, WB Yeats I'll lie down where all the ladders start in the foul ray and boneyard of the heart mm. That was maybe the best answer that's ever been given on the Marinette with Jason Earl podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> in diving into your work, one of the things I came across was this piece that really inspired me in No Depression, where I guess it was written about the time of your last record. And it starts out with like this sort of poetic, idyllic description of your life in the Ozarks, like your relationship and like all of this and then it just out of nowhere blindsides you with some turns i'm interested in and it was incredible because it's like the way i want to write I, I when i read that i told river shook and uh and blake talent uh river's guitar player last night about this because it's just been on my mind that like that piece was so powerful and you said a lot in a very short amount of time which is what you do so well with your songs too what is like your creative work itself when you're going to to write something like that for example which is a deeply personal thing 
that isn't in the form of a song um, or a poem, like, is there a different headspace you need to be in to access something like that? Um, first of all, thanks for reading that. I really, I'm really proud of that piece, and I, I wish I could, I wish I wrote more stuff like that. Uh, I wish I had felt like I had time. Um, yeah. And I, I really want to um, do a book of essays. Mm. Um, usually, I st honestly, I kind of start with um, uh, like in the same mode as songs I'm usually try to start with blistering honesty mm. what is it that I want to say the least but most want people to know mm. and um, uh, and then also can I come up with some scenes that convincingly um, put people in place mm -hmm. and um, I don't need those scenes to be connected I don't I'm not a great believer in uh, narrative that goes from <laughs> one event to the next, right? I've sort yeah. of, I can't even, I <laughs> wish uh -huh. I could talk that way. I can't, I'm not, I'm a, sort of a web person, not a ladder person, if that uh, makes sense. And sure. um, constellations that you just kind of uh, move between. And um, so, yeah, I, I usually am trying to start with what the hardest thing to say is. And, and in that essay, um, I knew that, um, it was, uh, I knew that it was the, mi like missing a dog, um, mm -hmm. uh, that I lost in a breakup and also died. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so I usually am just on a, if I'm being totally honest, I'm just trying to find a, th uh, a through line and I try to make it a through line that's vulnerable and, and can make me be honest because I, I think I don't mind being glib and I don't mind being slick. I don't mind showbiz. And I'm not obsessed with the exact truth either. Mm. Um, and what creative person is, right? I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even, I, I'm very well acquainted with how bad my memory is, right? We have to be if you're mm. going to make things. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been proven to like scientifically. So, yeah. Oh my God, everything, so much you're saying resonates with me. This The series I, I alluded to earlier, this marinade moments thing I'm doing where I'm talking about shows that I've attended mm -hmm. um, over the years. I just, some of these shows are 20, 24 years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. How do you I've remember? lived lifetimes. Like, how do you remember? And And is the actual story as compelling as whatever is in my head right now? Whatever I remember about that, whatever I projected with all of the event life events that have transpired since then, yeah. is the actual story as interesting as, as this? Right now it's not, because right now is the only reality that I have. And I'm telling the story of something that happened 20 years ago, but I have to look at it through this lens. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, even even folk songs aren't, aren't accurate or materially uh, or consistent or they're folk songs are really bad ways for stories to to catapult out of control um i was interviewing some people in arkansas about some bad man ballads mm -hmm. um that were written about an outlaw from the 60s um and these bad man ballads were being written in the style of like the jesse james or um cole younger outlaw ballads mm -hmm. and eventually i found the family and it just turned out that the guy was an absolute like uh, like a monster to his family, like he was a uh, was a pederast and a uh, and a um, uh, a mean guy, and that they were the family had been like with part of like crushing poverty for a long time. But some outlaw misdeeds like gotten the brains of a few folk singers, and then they proceeded to do what they do, which yeah. is spin yarns. And 
Um, that's why actually one of the reasons to be a folk singer though is not because it's unreliable or not because it's not because you want it to be reliable because you know it is unreliable. Yeah. Um, because you can you you then see that history is this like great big um, flux of people like suffering and 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 working and and trying their best. Um, and that feels like a more forgiving space than um, it was this way. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. so it shall remain. Um, women are women and men are men. And, um, yeah. and we know when we know what, how the civil war, what exactly what the civil war was fought over and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, that nuance has to come through. I mean, that's what I think that's such a big part of, part of why we make stuff is to, to get to that nuance and to, to project all of the bits of it, right? The, the nastiness and the good and, and the good and the not so good um, onto those kinds of things. Well, I, I'm interested in where you're going now. So you got a new record yeah. coming up at the beginning of next year, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is that? What, what has that process been like and what can we expect? How much can you tell us about it? You know, um, um, the record's called Critterland and, um, there's a lot about um, deaths of despair on it. Um, lost a couple of friends to fentanyl in the mm. last couple of years, and um, there hasn't been a lot of space to write intense and dramatic songs. Um, uh, and there hasn't been a lot of space for like capital R uh, romance mm. in my um, writing. And so I'd say that's the direction we're headed in. It's actually it's probably not the most commercially viable direction we could have picked. But well, then you don't have um, to worry about that connecting with people one on one anymore, right? Oh. If you're not going, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a self sabotage. Alienate everyone. <laughs> um, I'm it, just kidding. In fact, I, I I worry it might be. Well, it's not. I, I've worried that it, it's too intense. Um, uh. And uh, but I think that's just because it's white hot to me. Yeah. You know, right? yeah. and that's and that is a good if i've learned anything from things like that no depression i say is that that's a good feeling yeah it becomes good eventually right but um so i'm in that nervous phase of um uh so there's also like um uh there's a long form uh story that closes it out that's um like a true story of um some pot dealers in uh in the part of Northwest Arkansas that I'm from that was like a lot of research and um, interviews and rumors and stuff. So um, it rounds itself out kind of with a long um, folk ballad, a fo- long folk bad man ballad, actually. Um, <laughs> that's uh, my own dramatization of a regional folk tale. Man, okay, so that's really interesting. Then... S- how do you like what does the sort of this the 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 bits of your scheduling like your day it sounds like you you feel like part music historian part songwriter and performer um you're you're reading clearly reading quite a bit you're and you're doing all this research as well, especially as we're talking about this, this new record, like how are you an organized person? Like, how do you like Mm. in certain terms of a sort of more, um, I don't know, a more like, Oh, all good, man. Um, sort of a more like, uh, practical way 
what does your creative process look like? Uh, it's pure chaos, actually. Okay. No, it's just it's actually really bad adult ADHD that was diagnosed like a year and a half ago. Oh wow. Um, okay. Inability to hold down a conventional job, like uh, absolute um, uh, messy desk syndrome that leads to piles of notes. The way that I organize my notes is by season and uh, not with uh, anything in mind. It's grocery list blends freely into working on a song, blends freely into chord progression. If there was some sort of super notebook, I want this so badly, that could combine uh, sounds uh, with transcription, with um, uh, with uh, written notes, with digital notes, and have that happen in real time as you were working on it, um, that would be the best thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but as it is, and we're just sort of trying to capture all that shit at once. Yeah. and. Um, so, um, yeah, I read really widely. I mm-hmm. intentionally lack discipline about what I'm reading. I'm also like not a great folklorist. I don't have a lot of training. I just talk to people. Um, and musically, uh, I'm interested. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I love folk music is that you can have some discipline, right? Is that you can, you can find a style. Uh, and it's fun to play in a style. Um, and I guess the same thing with like, uh, certain kinds of page poetry or something right is that you've you pick a style um you read in a discipline you um write uh you know you write a sonnet and so really we're just finding containers for um finding containers for total chaos it feels like they're trying to get rid of us and that's actually a perfect segue into what we end on which is the art that has you fired up at the moment so what are you reading or listening to or in that chaos what are you um excited about right now art wise um it's been a long time since i um read uh leaves of grass uh. and i'm rereading what women's re- leaves of grass um i also am revisiting rilke's duino elegies which i don't it's been a long time since i'd read those um uh i've been reading a book i think it's called 1160 three or something (laughs) it's about the fall of the bronze age um Mm. and uh i've been interested in that stuff for a long time um and i'm also reading a book uh, by james gaddis um called on grand strategy um which is uh essentially just a yale military historian um trying to boil down some essential facts about um about how to strategize well um by using hundreds of historical examples. Um, yeah, I tend to be reading several things at once. I just finished um, Gore Vidal's The City and the Pillar, mm-hmm. um, kind of a gay Bildungsgrimmen, and um, did not enjoy it. <laughs> um, uh, Why? I'm, I'm a sucker for really nice prose, uh. and um, uh, that's not nice it's very not nice prose uh, <laughs> okay all right uh, i like i like lush language um yeah I, i'm listening to um oh boy i guess i'm listening to uh a sort of a r- it's a lot of back listening um mm. i'm really interested in concertina music right now hmm. um and accordion music uh, so I've been listening to, uh, I guess, a lot of polkas and jigs and reels. Um, 
and uh, also like a lot of my contemporaries like I tried to listen to everybody that was playing at Newport Folk Festival and mm. that'll keep me busy for a year yeah right yeah it was an incredible lineup my you made me think of my my friend Stephen Rock he's a big Whitman fan and um he writes what he calls like post folk I think he refers to his music his own nice. music as but yeah little plug for Steven folks listening in for you um I, l- I absolutely love him and his music doesn't sound like anything else and he's one of those guys that and I'm gonna call you out right now buddy um <laughs> calling Steven out right now um he's one of those guys that doesn't have a record I keep looking at my recorder as if it's like gonna give me answers <laughs> to some of these things or gonna respond to me but um He's one of those guys that doesn't have a record out, but there's you can find things on SoundCloud and Sp- SoundCloud and Spotify and stuff from him. And I just am such a fan of what he does. But he's very inspired by Whitman. I think you'll hear that when you listen to the music. Man, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for that incredible set. Sure. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. Thanks I'm for just putting really, up with really me. grateful. Yeah. Thank um, you. Dirty, cause the heart's a big pretend. Gotta let everybody in. Doesn't matter who they are, if they do right or where they've been. Everybody gets it. Willie Carlisle, y'all. Thank you so much, Willie. Thank all of you for listening. WillieCarlisle.com for all things Willie Carlisle. The song you're hearing in this episode is Your Heart's a Big Tent from Willie's most recent album, Peculiar Missouri. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, Spoutable, Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon. We're on all the things except Facebook. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. Go do that right now while you're listening, please. It makes a big difference for us and costs so little of your time and effort. If you really like what we're doing and can and swing it financially, please consider joining our Patreon community for just two bucks a month, y'all. You can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. Y'all, you can now try a free trial of Patreon to see if you like it. No pressure. Try it for seven days. Set a reminder on your phone in case you want to cancel and keep going if you dig it. We also have a monthly show over there called What We're Getting Down On. It's a conversation between me and my good friend Peter Haroldson. We have a lot of fun catching up once a month. There's just a lot of cool stuff over there, and it's a way to connect with the show. If you want to support us financially, but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, I totally get that. You can Venmo or PayPal us. Uh, just search for the marinade. All the money goes right back into the making of the show. There is no conversation with River Shook from episode 140. Or this one without our Patreon patrons. Sure, we could have done things on Zoom and that would have been great, but uh, special moments like this happen because of our Patreon patrons. And it was just great to, to sit around and wait for, for Willie and see him interact with people and then have a chance to talk about that. And, and there's an intimacy to recording the marinade in person the way I always intended. And so I'm just really thankful that folks support the show and uh, and help us to get to these festivals and these shows around the country. Above all, though, I'm just so thankful that you listen and spread the word about the marinade. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.